Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Jensen is with us again this week. Tom has been with us a number of times. He makes his living being the director of public policy polling. I think they still pay you for that. I hope so. Uh, well, you, you'll find that every two weeks <laughs> or so. Anyway, Tom, uh, public policy polling is a uh, polling organization that uh, uh, does research and uh, on issues of the day. And so from time to time, we have Tom come over and tell us about what he's been researching recently and what the results are. And there's all sorts of things going on in this world right now that uh, make us uh, find this very interesting to, to open Tom's uh, uh, background and, and uh, research to us so that we'll know what's going on. And I guess we start off with uh, Donald Trump because he is constantly in the news and particularly here in North Carolina after his visit to Greenville. So have you done a poll since his visit to Greenville? Uh, yeah, we did one sort of coterminous with his coming to Greenville, and he's narrowly unpopular in North Carolina. About 46, 47 percent of voters approve of the job he's doing, about 50, 51 percent of voters disapprove of the job he's doing. So he's in better shape in North Carolina than he is nationally, but he does still have more people here who disapprove than approve of him. Why why do you think uh, he he has the popularity more in North Carolina than, say, in other states or in the average state? uh, One simple reason is that he did six points better in North Carolina in the election in uh, 2016 than he did in the country as a whole. Even as he was losing the popular vote nationally by two points, he won North Carolina by four points. Uh, So it makes sense, just based on that, that his numbers would be better in North Carolina than they are nationally. And I think it just speaks to the fact that we're still a slightly conservative state. I don't think we're a deeply conservative state uh, by any means anymore, uh, but still a little more conservative than the country as a whole. So it makes sense that he holds up a little better here. The the other interesting thing about Donald Trump, of course, he's he's constantly on – on Twitter, and uh, so uh, does that. Uh, do you see differences after in polling after he sends out a tweet than before? Definitely, his approval has gone up and down. Uh, not that much because it's pretty much stayed in place. But to the extent his approval has gone up and down over the last two years, there really has been a correlation to sort of how unhinged he is on social media at a particular time when he's kind of staying quieter and acting more like a normal sort of president by historical standards, his numbers will creep up a little bit. And then when he's sort of going through a phase where he's really active on Twitter and tweeting a lot of stuff that's sort of out there, you'll see his numbers go down a little bit. Uh, Something that I think is a very simple truth about him is that given where the economy is, if he had the temperament of a normal president, he'd have very strong approval ratings. But because uh, he acts in a way, particularly on Twitter, that so many voters find off-putting. That's why his approval ratings remain in the low 40s, even though most of what's going on, usually a president would be pretty popular. Now, North Carolina, of course, has a very high number of unaffiliated. And by unaffiliated, that means <laughs> merely that that's their form of registration. They are still either leaning conservative or leaning liberal or leaning down the road, middle of the road or whatever. But uh, so is there a significant difference in the approval rating of the unaffiliated? Uh, No, that's pretty similar to the overall numbers in the state, but that's sort of a change in North Carolina politics. It used to be that unaffiliated voters 
were sort of more Republican-leaning, and now they don't look that different from the state as a whole at all. And in some areas, they've actually become very Democratic-leaning. A lot of the legislative races that uh, Democrats were able to pick up in North Carolina last year were in districts where there's as many as 16% more registered Republicans than registered Democrats. But the reason that Democrats were able to win in those places is because unaffiliated were voting so heavily Democratic when they've usually been more Republican-leaning or 50-50 sort of in their voting patterns. Uh, and definitely that trend of unaffiliated, particularly in the urban areas, moving strongly to the Democrats is a backlash against President Trump. Now, uh, this unaffiliated movement, or uh, as most people call it, independent, uh, is this sweeping across the country in the same way that it is in North Carolina? Because we now have a number of counties that the plurality is unaffiliated. Yeah, definitely uh, more voters as they sort of register to vote for the first time or go to change an address or uh, anywhere where they have to pick a party affiliation. Increasingly, you're not feeling any loyalty to either the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. That's particularly true among younger voters. Younger voters vote pretty overwhelmingly Democratic, but they do not identify as Democrats. They they don't want to be part of the party. Uh, So as you alluded to, we already have counties in North Carolina kind of where unaffiliateds are number one. Last year, unaffiliated succeeded Republicans to become the second largest group of voters in the state. And somewhere here over the next decade, unaffiliated are going to pass Democrats in the state as well. And we'll have more unaffiliated than anything else. Why, why do you think that is? I think that both parties just sort of have a lot of internal division about what direction they need to be going in, where a lot of people sort of just get frustrated and say, I don't stand for this at all. For instance, among those younger people uh, who are pretty liberal, they don't think the Democratic Party is liberal or bold enough. So they don't want to be Democrats because they you know, see that as sort of these 70-year-olds in their mind who aren't doing anything. Uh, so they register unaffiliated because of that. Same thing sort of on the right. A lot of uh, Trump supporters come from unaffiliated who think the cons- uh, Republican Party is not conservative enough and hasn't been bold enough in taking conservative action. So even though they'll generally vote Republican because they like them better than the Democrats, they register unaffiliated because they're unhappy with uh, lack of progress from the Republicans. Has, uh, you know, we hear a lot, the term millennials, of course, is around all the time and thrown away around very loosely. Uh, Is there clearly a group of, uh, that, uh, that you can identify as being called millennials that have similar characteristics? Or is this just uh, a term that uh, <laughs> a term of the times. Yeah, I mean, it's basically just a term like uh, Generation X or uh, anything like that, where it's just basically people who go and you know you sort of choose an arbitrary starting year to give that group to a year of birth and an arbitrary ending year, year of birth, and sort of lump all those people together. But I think the uh, official definition of millennials, obviously it's debatable, but it's something like people born between 1980 and 1992 or something like that. And I don't know that there's a lot of similarities between people born in 1980 and people born in 1992. So, uh, you know, now typically young people have always been leaning more, I mean, it, it, it's always been a fact that people, as they age, become more, I guess, what is called conservative. Yeah. So that that trend's really not changing, is it? 
No, I mean, you know, certainly it's possible that as the world changes, we could have a generation that doesn't get conservative as it got older, and that would be uh, pretty bad news for the Republicans because they kind of rely on that. But certainly we have a very long-term trend of younger voters are almost always liberal, and then as they get older, they sort of move more at least to the center, if not to the right. Where is that, where is that age break? Where does that start? Uh, I think that it's probably most commonly when you're in your 40s and you're raising a family and you're having more expenses that you than you did when you were younger that are sort of required. So then you get crankier about having to pay taxes and uh, you sort of feel more responsibility about the world, that sort of thing. Uh, so I think generally that that might be about when that starts. Of course, most people don't change. It's just that if you do change, you're more likely to change from uh, liberal to conservative than the other way around. Now, uh, of course, the term liberal and conservative depends on the issue because, for example, uh, well, there's just a lot of issues that people jump on both sides of. For example, there are a number of conservatives that are basically strongly in favor of gun control, for example. So how, how do you identify what is called a conservative and what is called a liberal? What What is the what is the fact? What are the factors that determine where you stand politically? Well, it's whatever you want to call yourself, ultimately. Uh, and something that we see is that a lot of the time, uh, people who describe themselves as liberal or moderate or conservative, uh, then when we look at what their views on the issues are, a lot of the time, as you sort of allude to, they don't necessarily line up perfectly with what is generally thought of as being liberal positions and conservative positions. I've had people you know, tell me they're a liberal and then they say that they're pro-life and pro-gun and uh, those sorts of things that you wouldn't usually think of somebody who holds those positions as being a, a liberal. So I think that, uh, you know, a lot of the time these labels are sort of overused. Right now there's so much discussion about the progressive wing and the moderate wing of the Democratic Party and who's going to win out in the Democratic nomination contest. The reality is that people who identify as progressives, people who identify as moderates, pretty much think the same things. Well, that's that's all. By the way, we're going to talk a great deal about the very crowded Democratic presidential field, and uh, we've just gotten through with another round of debates, and we want to get your opinion. I know that uh, we're recording this program at, uh, right at the conclusion of uh, the second uh, of those uh, uh, debates, so I suspect you have not done any research on that yet, but uh, we want to talk about that, and we will get to that when we uh, get to another segment of the program. And, of course, we also want to talk about the feelings of the country on Congress. Uh, you know, it's interesting. So many of the questions in the debates had to do with things that the president really doesn't decide Congress does. Uh, why do we always blame the president for things that Congress does or so, should do? <laughs> It's just a lot more visible. Uh, certainly, people know who the president is. Most people don't know who their member of Congress is, much less who all the other members of Congress are. So I think it's just a, a simple issue of who you see the most is who you blame or credit the most. Well, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Tom Tillis and where he stands. We're going to talk about the uh, uh, UNC Board of Governors. We're going to talk about... Uh, the name recognition of possible candidates for governor for the state of North Carolina. And also uh, we'll ask you about the uh, approval rating of the General Assembly in North Carolina as they are still in session here in Raleigh and trying to settle on the budget 
questions. We'll all do all that and much more as we continue with Carolina Newsmakers. You stay tuned. At Habitat for Humanity, with your help, the numbers are adding up. Three decades, thousands of volunteers, nearly 90 countries around the world. 300,000 houses, 1.5 million people living in simple, decent, affordable homes. But the most important number is one. One volunteer, one house, one family, one child, safe and sound, under a roof you helped her family build. Every 15 minutes, somewhere in the world, this story is repeated. One more home built, one more family, helping to build and purchase their own home. Together we can eliminate substandard housing. Won't you join us? Support the work of Habitat for Humanity in your hometown or wherever your heart leads you. Now more than ever, volunteer, get involved, and help build it. Visit us at Habitat.org. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Tom Jensen. He is uh, the Director of Public Policy Polling, a polling organization that not only polls here in North Carolina but across the country. They perform automated telephone surveys using interactive voice response, IVR. I love that term, IVR. (laughs) Um, And, of course, they track public opinions uh, on a wide range of issues, and we are going to talk about some of those right now. We have, uh, of course, already begun to talk about the upcoming election, and yet it's a year away. Uh, One of the conversations is about Tom Tillis, uh, the Republican Party seems to be split on him because there is a, a number of challenges. On the other hand, uh, he is the incumbent. So where does he stand right now in, with his possibility of, of running or not running? Uh, and if he does run, uh, his chances of winning. <laughs> well, I think he's running, but he's very unpopular. We find that only about 25% of voters approve of the job he's doing, about 50% disapprove. Uh, so usually you would look at those approval numbers, 25 approve, 50 disapprove, and just assume that he's doomed for re-election. Uh, but as you allude to, a big part of why his approval numbers are so poor is that a lot of Republicans disapprove of him. But if he does win the Republican nomination for a second term, they're going to vote for him even though they don't like him. Uh, so we did a poll last month testing Tillis against the most likely Democratic candidate, Cal Cunningham, uh, and Cal Cunningham was just up by one point. It was basically a toss-up. So I think that's where the Senate race stands, is that it's pretty 50-50. And it's going to be one of the most important Senate races in the country. Uh, right now, Democrats are down 53-47 to 47 in the U.S. Senate. They're probably going to lose the Senate seat that they currently hold in Alabama. Uh, so that would get them to down 54-46 to 46 next year. They're favored to win Senate races next year in Arizona and Colorado that Republicans hold right now. So that gets it to 52 to 48. 
Tillis's seat is probably the seat that gets Democrats to within 51 to 49 in the Senate. And then if they can pick up one more Senate seat somewhere in the country and win the presidency, then whoever the vice president is for the Democrats would give them uh, control in the Senate. So it's definitely going to be one of the most important races for determining who gets control. And people ask me all the time, why don't more Republicans stand up to President Trump? They know uh, that, you know, what he's doing is bad, but they never say anything. Tom Tillis is really emblematic of why more Republicans don't speak up. He has never been particularly popular, but he's usually had about 30% approve, about 35% disapprove, uh, and now he's at 25 approve, and that disapprove's gone all the way from 35 to 50. The reason his approval numbers have tanked so much this year is because he briefly stood up to President Trump on something, and it made Republicans hate him. When Trump wanted the national emergency about the situation at the border, uh, Tillis said that he did not think Trump should be able to do that. And then all of a sudden, Tillis had a very negative approval rating with Republicans. Uh, And then he changed his tune and got back on board with Trump. But just basically a, a few days of standing up to Trump on something and his numbers fell apart. So um, so basically, your projection at this point in time on Tom Tillis is, will he get the nomination or not? Uh, he's up by 5 to 10 points against Garland Tucker in the Republican primary. Uh, when we poll it, it's sort of in the 40 to 30, 40 to 35 sort of range. I do think that ultimately he's going to get the nomination. And uh, one reason why is that uh, you know Trump is with Tillis, and I think Republicans usually are going to do what Trump says. Uh, so I think that Tillis will end up getting it, but I think it's going to hurt. I think it's going to be a, a bloody primary, and it may weaken him a little bit for the general. The Board of Governors uh, that runs the uh, campuses of the University of North Carolina from uh, from border to border is always in the news. Are you doing any polling on the Board of Governors? You know, anytime we do any polling on the Board of Governors, people don't have any opinion about it. Uh, so I think it is – something that people who are really plugged into state politics give a lot of thought to, but it's not something that your sort of average voter across the state is really thinking about very much. So anytime we do pull on that, it's pretty inconclusive because most people just say they don't know anything about it one way or another. Generally speaking, uh, is there more apathy on all issues now than there was, say, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, or is it about the same? It seems like to me there's a little bit more just general lack of interest in government and politics than there was, say, 20 years ago. Yeah, I think the struggles that local media have had uh, across the country and in North Carolina has really sort of reduced the amount of attention that voters pay to things like what's going on in the legislature, what's going on in Raleigh more generally, what's going on with their city council, county commissioners, those sorts of things. I think maybe the overall interest in news is steady, but uh, it's gotten more and more and more heavily just only people pay attention to what's going on nationally and don't pay very much attention to what's going on at low, uh, more local levels. And certainly apathy might be a part of it, but I also just think lack of information is a part of it. If you're no longer getting a newspaper delivered to your house every day telling you what's going on in your community or telling you what's going on in your state, and you're just getting all of your uh, news from television, from national outlets, you know, if you don't know what's going on locally, you are going to be apathetic because you, you don't even know what you should care about. Podcasting seems to be on the uprise 
uh, but the the problem with that is most people are uh, listening to podcasts that they already have some opinion on, and they're not getting the other side. Very much like what's happening on the cable TV channels. People are either you know the conservatives are watching Fox, and the liberals are watching MEC, uh, uh, and and. Uh, uh, so you're getting reinforced in your existing opinions without uh, learning of the other side. Do you see any way that that's ever going to be balanced off? Or, and is that making the situation worse as far as uh, people digging their heels into the sand on their positions? Well, it's definitely making things worse. I think that people increasingly consuming their news from mostly partisan media sources that tell them what they want to hear has definitely been a big contributor to the country being so divided because on both sides I think you see some tendency just not to even believe the other side's perspective because you're never really exposed to it so you know a lot of people who watch Fox News just think that's the truth and anything that's contrary to that is fake Uh, and I think that sort of runs both ways is there any way that it's going to change I mean, everything in sort of American society and American politics is cyclical. Uh, You go back to the 19th century, people, when they had a big choice of newspapers, chose the newspaper to read that sort of had the perspective that uh, they sort of more identified with and that kind of thing. So uh, I definitely don't see things changing in the foreseeable future, uh, but I do think that sometimes we sort of have resets on things where we sort of calm down and get more in the middle and, and, you know, can have a period of comparative tranquility before getting back into trying to choke each other like we are right now. Tom Jensen is our guest. He's the director of public policy polling. They do polling across the country here in North Carolina. Tom, uh, let me ask you a question. What is your definition? I'm, because I'm trying to get a, an understanding of this. What is your definition of fake news? We hear that term all the time now. And I ask people, I said, what's your definition of fake news? And people say, well, it's news that's not true. Well, um, is that a adequate definition or what is fake news? I think at this point when people say fake news, this is not my personal definition, but this is my sociological definition of how I think other people use the term. Fake news is basically anything you don't want to hear. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if uh, if there's something that sort of has a – a liberal storyline to it, conservatives will call it fake news even if it's true. And if there's something that sort of has a conservative storyline to it, uh, liberals might not use the phrase fake news, but, you know, essentially have that same attitude even if it's true there as well. So uh, I think there was a time when fake news really did refer to the media reporting stuff that was actually just flat out wrong, but increasingly it just means I don't want to hear that fake news regardless of how true it is. And for the most part, people who are throwing around that term don't want to know how true it is or not. Well, it's an interesting term because, uh, as I said, I've done a lot of my own personal polling on it, and everyone seems to give a different answer. But I think probably you just gave me the best one I've heard. It's it's news that people don't want to hear. Uh, That's a good one. Okay, I'm going to give you credit for that one. All right, so uh, we've talked about approval ratings of Tom. Tell us what about uh, Governor Roy Cooper? He's uh, he's seen a little bit of a dip in his approval rating recently. We've tended to find him over the course of his first two and a half years as governor, sort of in the 50% approval range, 35% 
disapproval range. But the last statewide poll we did on him, voters were actually pretty evenly divided. Uh, and that goes along with a trend that we've noticed in our polling for over a decade now, which is that whenever the legislature's in session, everybody associated with state government gets more unpopular. This is true of Bev Perdue, it's true of Pat McCrory, and now it's true of Roy Cooper. When the legislature's in town, voters are just down on everybody who's sort of involved in state politics, and then they go away and things come back up. So voters are pretty evenly divided on Cooper right now in a matchup with Dan Forrest uh, for re-election next year. He leads by five points. And the reality is it's going to be hard for anyone in North Carolina to win anything by much more than five points in this day and age because the state is so closely divided. Well, it's truly a purple state. There's no question about it. And as a matter of fact, I think uh, we're going to replace Missouri as the, as the state people watch. As the North sure. Carolina goes, the country goes. Mm-hmm. And our population continues to grow, and we continue to have more and more people moving in from out of state. And it's uh, uh, bound to, I guess, continue to be more and more purple. Mm-hmm. And uh, are, is there another state that is as purple as we are? It's hard to to beat us. We were the second closest state for president in 2008. We were the second closest state in the president for 2012. Uh, in 2018, even though it was a huge Democratic wave year nationally, Democrats won the overall vote for everything when you look at it in North Carolina by two points. In 2016, which was a good year for Republicans nationally, Republicans won everything in North Carolina on average by two points. Uh, so we just so elect- that's one point change. Yeah, election cycle <laughs> after election yeah. cycle, we're coming within one or two points one way or the other. Yeah, two point difference is only one percent change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, Tom Jensen is our guest, and we'll be back with more here in Carolina Newsmakers right after we take time out for these messages. I can help the next customer over here. Oh, thank you. Wow, that's a lot of books. Let's see, how to keep your child safe. Child-proofing your home, child-proofing your yard, child-proofing your in-law's home and yard. Well, I'm guessing you have a little one at home. Yeah. Well, it looks like you must take good care of her. Oh, thank you. Now, let's see. Parents' Guide to Safe Toys. That's a really good one. Parents' Guide to Safe Foods. Parents' Guide to Safe Safety Products. Parents' Guide to Parenting Guides. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and other safety tips. Of all the things you can read about keeping your child safe, the most important is attached to the back of their car seat. Read the instruction manual and learn to use the latch system. It makes it easier to be sure your child's car seat is installed correctly. Parents' Guide to Telling Other Parents How to Raise Their Kids. To learn more, go to safercar.gov. Anchor, tether, latch, the next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses, you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Jensen, the Director of Public Policy Polling, is our is our uh, guest, and uh, we've talked about all sorts of things that you're polling on. Usually, uh, Tom, you've got some fun things that you also, when you do polling, you sometimes have an extra question or two that people will uh, respond to, so you usually do some, some uh, uh, polling. I've got to 
turn off my cell phone here. <laughs> I thought I turned it off just a minute ago, but I apparently pushed the wrong button. So, uh, uh, what did do you have any fun polls this time? Sure. Well, we uh, we did a poll after the Women's World Cup because uh, Megan Rapino, the U.S. soccer star, and uh, President Trump kept fighting on Twitter so much. So we finally just did a poll and asked people who they would vote for for president between the two of them. Uh, and Megan Rapino beat Trump 42 to 41. Uh, and it's sort of funny because she's not actually running for president, but it does show that pretty much no matter who you test against Trump, he's in that sort of low 40s. So that was an offbeat poll that also told us something real. Okay, now, something that's going on uh, in the uh, country right now is the increase uh, interest in sports betting. And, of course, North Carolina, with the casinos in the western part of the state, will now have sports betting. Uh, What does the public feel like about uh, the change in the uh, laws involving uh, betting? So we haven't actually done any polling on that, but I think that it's something where uh, voters would pretty much be fine with easing up the laws on sports betting. Well, I mean, it's been going on for years. It's just been illegal. Yeah. Uh, and this is maybe sort of a funny parallel, but maybe a reasonable parallel. Something else that's been going on for years and is increasingly becoming legal is marijuana legalization. Uh, and that's something that... You know, it used to be that voters were totally opposed to that, and now voters are totally on board with that. And I think that it's probably the same thing with something like sports betting. I think, in general, society is definitely getting less conservative on those sorts of personal choice issues uh, because it really doesn't play out that much as a Democrats versus Republicans issue so much as a generational issue. Uh, for instance, on marijuana specifically, where I'm more familiar with the data, a 25-year-old Republican is much more likely to be supportive of marijuana legalization than a 70-year-old Democrat. Uh, it's much more generational than it is party split. And I think with something like marijuana, with something like gay marriage, with something like sports betting, you're generally going to see the younger generation just be like, sure, we don't have a problem with that. You can do whatever you want. It's your choice, that kind of thing. The General Assembly also approved the sale of alcohol at uh, uh, sporting events in North Carolina and especially on the college campuses. And I think almost every school, with the exception of maybe Duke, has said, okay, we're going to sell uh, beer at ball games. Uh, what's, uh, have you done any polling on that? Definitely any sort of polling we've ever done about liberalizing alcohol laws, there's very strong support. Uh, North Carolina obviously has had some of the more conservative laws regarding alcohol in the country. And uh, definitely when we sort of look into things like Sunday sales, letting uh, alcohol be served earlier on Sundays, the so-called brunch bill, those sorts of things, there's a very strong bipartisan consensus that those sorts of liberalization of alcohol laws are just fine. I always thought it was kind of interesting that the first school that allowed the sale was Wake Forest, which is a Baptist institution. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, uh, some of my very best friends are Baptists, or were until that last moment. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to uh, uh, some of the, the change in feelings about things like marijuana, gay marriage, and alcohol. Uh, and, and your point is this is, again, more generational than – than it is party. Yeah, younger people just 
don't think there need to be strict laws about any of those sorts of things. Well, uh, okay, so let's get back. I, I was going down the list of uh, people that uh, we were going to check on their name recognition and their approval rating. What about uh, Phil Berger, who many people feel like is the most powerful man in North Carolina? Uh, he, he may be, uh, but most people don't know who he is. Anytime that we poll on Phil Berger, 60 or 70 percent of people say that they have no opinion about him one way or another, which I think is just an ex- another example of what we were talking about earlier, where the sort of lack of local news coverage about state government causes people to not know anything about state government to the point where you can have somebody like Phil Berger be possibly the most powerful person in the state, but he has no name recognition. Now, you mentioned Dan Forrest in the possible run against Roy Cooper, but you didn't mention Pat McCrory. What, have you done polling on Pat McCrory, former governor? Yeah, uh, we, we find that voters are pretty evenly divided in their feelings about him. Uh, we tested him in a head-to-head with Cooper earlier this year, and he was down by four. Uh, I do think that if Pat McCrory did decide he wanted the Republican nomination, he'd start out as a strong favorite. Uh, because Dan Forrest, even after a couple terms as lieutenant governor, does not have very high name recognition, under 50 percent. And certainly the new candidate in the race, State Representative Holly Grange from New Hanover County, uh, certainly doesn't have any statewide name recognition. So I think that if McCrory wanted to run, uh, he'd have a pretty good shot at the nomination. But uh, it is getting a little bit late for him to do that. We have an early primary uh, next year. It's only seven months away at this point. Uh, so that doesn't really feel that long away. And of course, somebody like Dan Forrest has been running full tilt for a long time now. So um, McCrory would start out ahead because of name recognition, but he would start out behind in terms of organization. Okay. So we've got, uh, I'm changing subject here. We've got about uh, 3,000 candidates for president of the Democratic <laughs> slate. About 25 of them have publicly announced. But uh, so, what? What do people feel like? Uh, how do people feel about so many candidates, and how can they possibly uh, pick from 20? Well, I think that one thing that sort of indicates how Democrats feel about having such a large field of candidates is we've definitely gotten to the point now where there's a very clear top four in the polls, and only four people are sort of getting that double-digit level, which is Joe Biden generally first, and then uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Kamala Harris, some combination of second through fourth. Uh, So even if not that many people are dropping out, the voters themselves have sort of picked a top tier of candidates. And one thing that's interesting, looking towards the next debate in September— is that the requirements are getting stricter, and so far only seven candidates have met the criteria to be included in that September debate, those four I just named, uh, and then Pete Buttigieg, Cory Booker, and Andrew Yang are the seven who have qualified for that debate so far. I'm sure with another month to go to get the donors required and the poll support required that you might see another four or five get in there. But I do think we're going to be down to about a dozen people debating in September. And you really wonder at that point what the uh, purpose of the rest of them continuing is if they're not even getting included in the debate. So I do think we're probably headed to a period where this very large field is about to get a lot smaller. And Uh, That'll be a relief, uh, perhaps for pollsters more than anybody else. It's very exhausting to 
both poll takers and poll answerers uh, when you have to start off the Democratic candidates for president are and then name off 25 people uh, before they get to actually say who they are going to vote for. One of the things that you constantly hear with the Democratic candidates is they feel like the most important thing that they uh, uh, are all about in this election is winning the presidency, uh, uh, defeating uh, President Trump. But yet uh, they seem to be arguing with each other and becoming more divisive within themselves. That seems like that's a collision course to me. Yeah, uh when people ask me if Trump's going to get reelected or not, uh, my answer, based on our data, is that if people decide how, based on how they feel about Trump, he has almost no chance. Uh, when you test him against a generic Democratic candidate, not only is he down by eight or nine points in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania that are the clearest path to a Democratic victory, but he's also down seven points in Florida. He's down five points in North Carolina. He's down four points in Georgia. He's down four or five points in Arizona. Uh, so generic Democrat, you know, is headed for an electoral college landslide. But Democrats need to make sure that they end up with a candidate who's strong enough. They don't even need to match the strength of a quote unquote generic Democrat, but they do need to come within four or five points of it. And the way that Trump wins is if Democrats come out of this primary very divided and refuse to unify around whoever ends up winning the nomination. And then Trump can sort of uh, further expand that division and sort of make people who would otherwise be inclined to vote against him not show up or hate the Democratic candidate, that sort of thing. So that the answer to how does Trump get reelected exactly goes to the division you're talking about. It's to, to have Democrats divided and unhappy once this uh, process has played itself out. Now, there are scads of people who say that uh, Trump did not win North Carolina last year, that Hillary lost North Carolina. Uh, did you ever do any polling on uh, how many people actually voted for Trump because they didn't like Hillary rather than whatever feelings they may have had about Trump? The, the key to the election, both North Carolina and nationally in 2016, was that about 20 percent of voters disliked both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. But among that 20 percent of voters who disliked both of them, Trump won by like 60 points. So he was the lesser of two evils candidate uh, in 2016. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see if as an incumbent, he can be the lesser of two evils candidate again, if you end up in a situation where voters don't like either candidate, or if this time around, uh, people say, well, I don't like either of them, but I want to try something new. So I'll vote for the Democrat and see what happens. So, okay. So you got 30 seconds to tell me who you right now think at this point in time will end up being the Democratic nominee to run against President Trump. It's a year, to, a year away. but uh. Well, I mean, I do think that Joe Biden's the favorite, but he's a 30% chance favorite. So uh, with 25 people running, 30% gives you a better shot than anybody else. Uh, but I still think he's less than even money. Uh, if I really had to guess, I think that uh, Elizabeth Warren or Kamala Harris might end up with it. But I still think Biden has a better chance than anybody else if you really just go down one by one. Tom Jensen is our guest here on uh, Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll be back with uh, one final segment of our program right after these messages. 
I'm Howie Mandel. Did you know attention deficit hyperactivity disorder in adults is a real and treatable medical disorder? I know because I am one of the estimated 10 million adults in the U.S. who have ADHD. The symptoms of ADHD, inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity make it difficult to pay attention and focus, be organized, complete tasks, and maintain relationships. I've been diagnosed with ADHD. In my life, I've often misplaced things and have found it difficult to sit down and read a script for work or even have a conversation. You know, the kind when you're actually listening without interrupting. It's never too late for adults to seek help for ADHD and find the right treatment plan. Get information at adultadhdisreal.com and take an ADHD self-screener. Talk to your doctor. The right treatment plan can help control your symptoms so you can stay focused and organized, get things done at home and work, and help improve relationships. Visit adultadhdisreal.com to learn more about adult ADHD. Don't let ADHD prevent you from achieving your goals. I haven't. I'm not staying home tonight. I'm at school all day. If they want me to do the work, give it to me while I'm at school. This guy has me coming to work 10 hours a day. So what if I didn't finish school? That doesn't mean he could work me like a dog. Hey, man, I need a few bucks. My car's busted and I need some cash. Hello? Hello? Every decision you make has a benefit or a consequence. Make the right choices today and be ready for the challenges tomorrow. This message is brought to you by the United States Air Force. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. This is Carolina Newsmakers. Our program, of course, is heard in two different versions, a 30-minute version and a 60-minute version. A number of the stations carry the full 60 minutes. Others carry the 30-minute version. If you happen to be listening to a station that carries the 30-minute version and you'd like to hear the other two segments, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. CarolinaNewsmakers.com carries both versions and also just carries just the segments that you missed. If you'd like to share it with a friend, you can also do that. CarolinaNewsmakers.com. Tom Jensen is our guest. He's the director of public policy polling. He's been with us a number of times. It's a, a, a firm that actually happens to be located next door to our studio. So when Tom comes, he doesn't drive, he walks. Yep. You may be the only guest we have that walks <laughs> to our program. Uh, we've talked about all sorts of things. One of the things that we have not touched on, and uh, it's in the news all the time, but my question is uh, about this particular issue is, do people really understand what's going on here? And that has to do with the word Mueller. So, <laughs> I, you know, has that issue just become so confused that people just don't really know what, what's going on there? Or, or do, And I'm sure people that really follow it do, but... Uh, how many people really understand what's going on there, and do they really care? It is more than almost any other issue something that really just 100% breaks down is if you like Trump, you think it's all made-up fake news sort of investigation, and if you don't like Trump, you think it's a really big deal. Uh, so anytime we ask something like, do you think Trump colluded with the Russians or not, the numbers come out the same as his approval rating because if you approve, you say there wasn't collusion, and if you disapprove, you say there was collusion. So uh, I don't know how much people really are paying attention to this. One thing I know for sure is that it is not high up on people's list of issues. If you ask people what they care about that's going on in the country right now, the Mueller investigation or Russian interference does not end up very high up on that list. I think uh, the level of media interest in it is sort of disproportionate to the level of normal people interest in it. But I do think, as you say, because it's all so confusing that people, instead of really trying to ferret out the 
truth of everything just sort of fall into their I like Trump or I don't like Trump camps when it comes to sort of processing how they feel about it. So you uh, said this is not high on people's list of issues that are important to them. Let's let's go down. What is the what are the hot buttons with the public right now? What are they most concerned about? I'm I'm sure healthcare is there somewhere in there. Yes, healthcare is definitely still the number one issue as it was during the 2018 election cycle. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, with this issue moving forward. It was very helpful for Democrats in 2018 because voters didn't want Republicans messing around with their health care. And that really is something that's sort of been a constant with the politics of health care, is that voters get mad at whoever's messing around with the health care system. It's sort of an interesting dichotomy, because Americans say that they hate the health care system, but then any time a party tries to really do anything to change the health care system, they say, (laughs) well, don't do that. They prefer the status quo that they hate to to the possible changes that they don't know. So that really hurt Democrats in 1994 and 2010. Voters didn't want them messing around with health care, and Republicans won. Last year, voters didn't want re- uh, Republicans messing around with health care, and Democrats won. Now it's sort of an interesting situation where Democrats have a strong advantage on the issue, but a lot of the Democratic candidates are talking about making big changes to the health care system. And what we've seen historically is that voters aren't very comfortable with those sorts of big changes. They might change their mind over time. One thing we saw with Obamacare was that voters hated it the first five years after it was implemented, and now they like it. Uh, But if voters are scared in 2020 that Democrats are really going to make changes they're not comfortable with, that could get Trump reelected. Another term that we hear thrown around all the time is the term immigration, and it means so many things to different people. So what is really the issue there, or what are the issues there? Because uh, there's too much group uh, grouped under that same title, t- term, I think. Yeah, it's really muddled. Uh And so much about immigration issues, and this is also true with abortion issues, uh, I think they are very complicated to voters. And a lot of the time uh, in polling, you'll find that very small differences in how you ask about it can lead to very big differences in terms of what people sort of say their opinions are or not. And that makes it a little hard to figure out where voters really are. So, uh, you know, we definitely find that voters support a, a path to citizenship for Uh, people who are here in the country if they uh, follow certain rules and uh, things. But then there's certainly a significant number of people who just uh, say send them all back. And I think there is a lot of nuance when it really comes down to uh, sort of how to handle these issues more broadly. But a lot of the time in public opinion, people are sort of much more black and white. Okay, I'm going to change the subject on you and get to I guess a little bit of a fun topic here. Self-driving cars. Have you done any polling on yes, that? Yes. We've done it, a lot. It scares of, me to death. We have done a lot of polling on self-driving cars and people are very much against it. Uh and it is certainly a generational thing. Younger people are a little more comfortable with the idea, older people are uh not comfortable with it at all, but uh we've done polling on that in a lot of places and uh people say that they are are totally against that, but I also think it's kind of funny. I think that uh, if we're sitting here in 40 years, 
uh, we're going to have self-driving cars, and people who are my current age in 40 years are going to say, you, you people didn't want these self-driving cars. You, you sat behind the wheel for four hours and had to drive the car to drive to Washington, D.C., instead of just you know laying back and relaxing, taking a nap, reading a book. And you were against this. So I have a feeling that if we were doing a poll in 1900 about cars, period, people would have said they were against that. It sort of goes to the same thing about healthcare. People are uncomfortable with the idea of change until they actually see the change, and then often they're like, oh, I like this. Well, I'm going to switch back to uh, – that. that's not exactly a fun topic, but it is one <laughs> where people are, are have some very strong feelings. Uh, so other issues that uh, the public is concerned about are uh, 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 maybe the economy. Uh, how do people feel about the economy right now? Uh, there's sort of an interesting divide there, which is that people feel like the economy is doing well on a macro level, uh, but then when you ask people about their own personal economic situation, there's much more division. We frequently ask a question, uh, over the last two years, has your personal economic situation gotten better, worse, or stayed about the same? About 32% of voters say their personal situation's gotten better. About 28% say it's gotten worse. And about 40% say it stayed about the same. So even though at a higher level the economy is doing well, only about a third of individual people say that they are actually benefiting from this uh, sort of strong economy. I had that up. That came to 90%. Now, this sounds like Yogi Berra. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. So... No, 32, 28 is 60, and 40 is 100. Uh, you're exactly right. I should not have ever <laughs> questioned you on that particular topic. Okay, so uh, we've got about a minute and a half to go here. So what are you planning to poll here in the future that we would find interesting? Uh, definitely interested to see if there is any fallout from the debates that happened this week. There were big movements after the first Democratic debate. Joe Biden dropped a lot. Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren moved up. One thing that's interesting about these debate bounces, though, is they have a tendency to fade. So a month ago, right after the debate, Biden was down, Harris and Warren were up. Now Biden, uh, with a month passing by, has regained a lot of the support he lost after the first debate. Kamala Harris has gone back closer to where she was before the first debate. So I think that's something that's important for people to sort of keep in mind is that even if we do see some big shifts with the polls that come out here in the next week, they may not be lasting. You've given me just enough time to thank Tom, uh, Tom Jensen, Tom Gibson, Tom Jensen for being our guest on public. Uh, he, of course, is the director of public policy polling and is a frequent guest on our program. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that, carolinanewsmakers.com. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. <laughs>